episode of Reptile Fight Club. How's it going, people? Um, my name's Justin Julander, in case you don't know. And here with me are a couple legends. Chuck, my co-host, what's up? What's up, sir? How are you doing? I'm oh, doing, doing great, yeah. Nice. We got uh, Mr. Ron St. Pierre back on the podcast. <laughs> Always great to have Ron. How you doing, yeah. man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's our pleasure for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's going on, guys? What's going on yeah. in the reptile world for you both? Ron, you want to take this one? Because <laughs> it's not much for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, yeah, it's I not guarantee much. you got cooler shit going on than it's me. It's not much for me either. I'm just <laughs> fucking around with little side projects and <laughs> little emerald tree boa thing going on. Some cobras yeah. and. Yeah, just a little, uh, what, 60 animal, 80 60, animal? <laughs> 61 emeralds. Yeah. About 20 yeah. chondros and counting. Just yeah, fucking just around a with side a, little, project. a little side project, I believe, was the verbiage. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Pick yep. up some Amazon tree boas and I, I don't know. I Once again, I've lost my fucking mind. and jumped off a cliff. But. <laughs> well, they look cool. I mean, you got yeah. some pretty I mean, smoking cliff, animals good cliff there. to jump yeah. off of. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually, I'm actually really digging it. I've been, you know, kind of bouncing around for years trying to find. I actually have always wanted to do this. I always intended to do the arboreal thing, and it just for a variety of reasons never happened. Finally, I hit the point where I felt like I had. Uh, it's time to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I could see myself still doing this 20 years out, whereas anything else I've done over the last probably 20 or 30 years, I always just assumed I would do it for a few years mm-hmm. and then move yeah. on to, you know, whatever the next thing. Because my interests are broad and, yeah. um, you know, so. That's the challenge with herpeticulture is like finding, I mean, there's so many cool reptiles, like you know, yeah. Finding something that you can <laughs> stick with, or I don't know. I guess we, you know, I, I can have a short attention span, but I, I kind of like the diverse collection. So I do, you know, a couple pairs of each or something. Mm-hmm. I guess Western Stimpsons maybe I have, you know, quite a few pairs, but everything else is like a pair or two, and I'm I'm happy with that. But I I think you know we've we've talked about this in the past. You know, to really do a species justice, you need a pretty good size collection like that you know like a 60 animal gig there well, so. well 60 was probably a little i tend to take things a little too far and then i dial them back over time mm-hmm. yeah um and i actually you know i initially was going to start out right away with 100 emeralds and just really oh, wow. go at it yeah and then when i got to 60 i was like you know maybe maybe i you know maybe i should dial this down a little bit and mm-hmm. focus uh, a little more intently on yeah um, it was. It's really the fact that, and what we're going to discuss today is having to DIY the caging, um, <laughs> yeah, and and do a completely different uh, thing than what's available is is a daunting task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for so sure. We're on fifth iteration. That still, <laughs> oh, still not totally happy with them. So yeah, but they're getting there. Yeah. Well, I'm I, you know excited for down the road when I get to hear all your. Uh, you know, your insights into, you know, how you're successful with these guys. So you're, you're going to write, write a book or write, you know, something for, no, I mean, I mean, 
something like that. Warren Booth is already doing that. So, but if okay. anything, you know, I, obviously him and I have been in touch, and yeah. anything that I find, I, I'm absolutely going to pass that on. And cool. I mean, I've been talking about it freely what I'm doing. I just, I just mm-hmm. don't want a bunch of people because it's still in the testing phases, and mm-hmm. it's and it's risky. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I just don't want a bunch of people to go. Oh, Ron St. Pierre said this, and they go try to copy it and have yeah, for sure. Because what I am doing is, uh, I mean, I'm my, the thing I always do is to take it all the way to look for the the I'm looking for the cutting edge. Yeah, you know, the very yeah. edge of it to take it all the way to the to right on the line between you know uh, success and lunacy and. Um, you know, so that's what I'm doing. And, and so far, um, everything that I predicted has come to pass. So it's working incredibly well. They're basically the same thing as the giant and Yeah. So there's just some slight, um, some slight variations. And obviously emeralds are quite a bit more, um, they're more touchy than, than chondros like the chondros seem to really uh, they're totally thriving under the system with the mm-hmm. rain and because I, mm-hmm. I what i'm doing is putting the rain back in the rainforest <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so um yeah they've done i mean i've taken some pretty crappy imports that were on death's door and after a couple of weeks under the system they're they are amazing wow. so interesting um, yeah and it's been the same thing for the emeralds but the emeralds are, are definitely trickier, and that's why I'm probably yeah. going to keep them sitting at at the 61 they're at now. I'll probably dial it down to 20 pairs, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll I'll leave it. I had to gut my garage, and I turned it to what we're calling the oven, and it's basically <laughs> the two car garage is superheated. We're keeping it 95 degrees, wow. and um, and then I can roll everything out in the daytime and get sunlight, and then I can roll it into my my porch area that's next to it, which is in the upper seventies, low eighties all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've got three zones that I can uh, do with the emeralds. The chondros have needed none of that. They just need to be underneath the rain. Then. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, I, as time goes on and things get more tested, I figure by next year, I'll know how well it works mm-hmm. um, as far as production and getting yeah. out. But as of right now, it's, I mean, everybody that's been over here so far that's seen it has has been fairly. They were like, "Wow, that's it's working really good," and they look good. Like everything looks amazing. Yeah. So, dang, that's awesome. Well, that's I guess cool. you know, high risk, high reward. That's all, yeah. that's great to hear. I'm glad it's yeah. working out, and and hopefully we'll see a, a ton of babies from you here in the, in the near future. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, dude. I've already had like meltdown, stress moments where I thought everything yeah. was. Because I keep I keep expecting the the legs to get kicked out from the table, uh-huh. you know. And mm-hmm. one day I walked out there in the Nauticondro, that expensive, yeah, stupidly expensive uh, pixel emerald that we brought mm-hmm. in had its bottom jaw hanging down a little Ooh. bit, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna die!" That's oh. it. it's all over, and I freaked out. <laughs> I talked to McNamara, and he was like, "Just calm down, dude." He's like, "They do this all the time. It'll pop back <laughs> really? in. It's like nothing." And yeah. then, sure enough, an hour later, it was back to normal. And they do do it, some weird shit with their jaws. Sometimes. Yeah, I that's mean, a true statement. Yeah. But, but with that particular, why, oh, for sure, yeah. year, no, and it had yeah. to be that say, one. Say less, one. Ron. I'm totally with you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just uh, like. Yeah, the the things heart attacks are made of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sure. 
That's cool. Well, best of best of success with that. I'm, I'm yeah, definitely excited to see where it goes. We still need to get our reptile fight club trip out to Florida to, to yeah, check sure. stuff out and to go herping with you. For sure, uh, got to make that happen. I'm, I mean, this. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm I'm headed to Australia in a couple weeks, and that's uh, that's when the NPR crew is headed. Right. Out to yeah, they they're going to be right down the road. They I talked yeah. to Rob the yeah. other day about that. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're going to come by and. Cool. You know, if I can get away, I'm going to go take them herping somewhere. Yeah, cool. it was it was kind of a, a mixed bag there. I was like, I really, really wanted to make that trip. But, you know, when somebody says, hey, we'll fly out to Australia, it's like, uh, yeah, that's a hard one to pass. <laughs> Florida up, will be there, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Rob does tend to do trips two or three times, you know, to kind of get, you know, make sure he finds the stuff he, he wants to find. So yeah. we did a little rocket run to Arizona a couple of weeks ago and had a pretty sweet trip. We found uh, three price eye and, and a couple, a uh, bunch of blacktail rattlesnakes. It was, it was a really Pelosis. cool trip. Yeah. yeah. And the tiger first. Tiger, oh yeah. So. Tiger. Yeah. It was pretty sweet, but yeah, it's fun to, fun to herp with those guys. They're, they're a lot of fun, but yeah. So I, I'm, I'll be sad to miss that, but I'll, I think I'll be, you'll all be all right. right. Australia. Yeah. 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 I was going to say Australia or Florida, <laughs> yeah. <Fuck> Florida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I found, I found a spot that's not too far. So it's a little bit of an extension, about a two and a half hour drive from kind of the northernmost point, but you can find Womas and there's like quite a few records from the spot. And I'm like, I think I'm going to drive a couple hours north to see if I can find some Womas, you know. So I'm kind of adjusting the plan accordingly, but yeah, I got, uh, but yeah, it should, should be an exciting trip. And my buddy Jordan's uh, going out and herping with me out there. So that'll be a lot of fun to, to herp with him. He's a, he's a cool guy. So Has he, very knowledgeable. Is he the game to just let you uh, plan the trip or is he already like, <laughs> have you discussed this with him yet? That's always the trick, right? Isn't it's the, it no, I, I, I sent him, the, I sent him the itinerary and he said, this lines up with kind of what he's, he's interested in seeing All as right. well. So he's like, you know, Morelia, Aspidites, blue tongues. I'm like, say no more. We're on the same page. You know, this will be the trip for, for, uh, South Australia. So Perfect. we're spending a lot of time looking for those freaking carpets, but that's, uh, so hopefully we get lucky and see a one or two, but they're, uh, they're a tough find. It's, it's a little bit kind of slower herping, I, I think from what I can tell, but, um, hopefully, you know, it'll, we'll just hit it right and find some cool stuff. But we've got chances for, uh, Moloch's for thorny devils and for, yeah, for a couple of different knobtail species that I haven't seen before. So, um, I, I need to see a Western blue tongue in, in the wild. I still haven't seen a live one yet. So hopefully that's in the cards as well, but uh, man, I don't know. Just too many cool critters and too many cool places to go. So yeah, still, sure. yeah, still trying to, so I, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but I'm doing a 50th birthday party in Australia. So we're going to get a group of guys and go out and herp in, in Australia. Oh, You're definitely welcome to join. That'd That's be cool, man. That'd be fun. Yeah. So I figured why not? <laughs> so, Oh my God, you're going to be 50 already. Yeah. <laughs> a couple, couple more years. So 2025 is kind of the, the key time for that. So hopefully, uh, 
hopefully we'll get a good group out there and find some good stuff. I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go because I was thinking South Australia for and looking for these carpets for my 50th. But since I'm going this year, I'll see how it goes and see you know how the herping is because if I'm getting a group out there, it might be better to go somewhere like Western Australia or Central Australia where you know the herping's a, a little stuff. Yeah. yeah, yep, a little more. Um, diverse maybe even further north i don't know but we'll we'll see see how this goes and kind of go from there but like i said too many cool places out there to explore <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know you don't even really think about how big australia is and how yeah. little of it is i mean there's places in there where i if i'm not mistaken a huge portion of australia has never been really explored or cataloged right yeah yeah, I mean, there's just not roads to a lot of the yeah. places, or it's Aboriginal land, or and so there can were, you imagine what might be right? going around out there, right? Yeah, well, I my first trip over there in 2010, um, this he was a keeper at uh, the Alice Springs Desert Museum, which is mm-hmm. kind of like a yeah. kind of like the Tucson, you know, that outdoor zoo type thing, but kind of more naturalistic, but mm-hmm. really cool spot. But he was saying that there was a an Aboriginal group that uh, had a photo of a of a leucistic brettles, uh, <laughs> pure white centralian carpet. Just, and they say it once in a while, it'll crawl through their, you know, their house, you know, where they live or whatever, like crawl through their yard and they'll see this, you know, leucistic <laughs> brettles crawling around and then, and they just let it go on its way, you know, and they've seen it a couple times or whatever. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, but there's no road to their place. You know, they're just out. If they need to get somewhere, they have to walk several miles to get to, you know, anywhere. So kind of cool to yeah think yeah. what's kicking around out there that we oh, haven't sure. discovered or yeah, it's just in some weird uh, inaccessible area, but uh, that'd be fun to go out and explore <laughs> some of those right. lesser explored areas. Yeah. Someday, I guess. But, well, all right. Yeah. Well, what would you do with the leucistic brettles? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, what would you I, do? I would probably give it to Nick or something. I was going to say, <laughs> give Nick a coronary. If you, <laughs> that's what yeah. you get for it. Uh, I, I don't know. I just love the red. Like I take yeah. away the red and it doesn't do a lot for me, I guess. But, I agree. Well, I, yeah. That does kind of ruin it. Yeah. yeah. Morphs yeah. don't make everything better. Right. That's, that's <laughs> one of the things I like about most of those, uh, you know, like chondros, they don't, they don't yeah. get any morphs at all. You don't they, need more. Yeah. They're awesome on their mm-hmm. own. So, yeah. And so are emeralds. Yeah. It's funny how everybody wants to make a, a green tree python that's not green. You know, they want it to right. be some other color. You're like, come on, guys. That's the reason they're so cool is they're a green snake, you know. Yep. Uh, I guess uh, the, the morph craze, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's fun. but well, I think everybody um, wants something unique, you know. Yeah, like, the novelty. You know, that novelty, mm-hmm. right, exactly. Sure. And that's why those, like, slow color change chondros get mm-hmm. people and they love it. And, yep. you know, it's it's cool if you want to spend that money and take take all the photos you can and, like – but it's going to turn out green, dude. It's going to turn out green. <laughs> for the most. I mean, you know, the there's some part, animals yeah. that don't, but but by and large, man, like it, you know, most of them end up green. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna fight about doing it yourself, <laughs> the to DIY or not to DIY, right? <laughs> that is the that is the question. That's the question. The immortal bard. Uh, laid out <laughs> so uh i don't know i guess uh you know i i think uh it's 
I, I, I'm kind of more on the DIY side, so you know we might might have to get Chuck to fight you on this one. But we'll, we'll, well go ahead and I, flip a coin. We'll see, yeah, see okay. who wins okay. that. So okay, go ahead and call it, Chuck. Tails. Whoop. There went the coin. Yeah, I feel it, like this. It, is- it was tails, though. It landed <laughs> tails. So he, all right, you, you got it. You want to fight Ron or no? You get to fight Ron. Okay, I'll right. fight Ron. <laughs> all right. And I think okay. you. And I think you should take the non DIY side. <laughs> well, we'll let the coin decide. <laughs> Whatever, man. I'm just saying. You want to call that one, Ron? Heads. Heads. It is heads. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I lost Ooh. both of them, but <laughs> so. what a loser you are today, Blender. That's, right. That's all right. That's all right. I, I well, can I'm take taking it. the DIY side because I there can't you go. Other one, man. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better uh, better show anyway. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, well I just want you to know me. that I want you wanted you to argue this because it goes against your yeah. <laughs> your, your, your instincts. But then when I sometimes when I choose the side that I don't think Chuck will want to take, he's like, oh, I wanted that side. I'm like, OK, like I don't even agree with that. Well, side. I helped you out and just yeah. let you know what I was thinking this That's time. True. You know That's what I mean? <laughs> All right. Well, Ron is the, the big winner here. You get a you want to lead us out or you want me to go first? Um, I, I mean, can go, Ron. Yeah, you go. Yeah, you fucking go. Fucking go. Nice try. You you just tried to say it in a nice way, so Ron would be like, oh, I'll go. (laughs) He almost got me to do that. He did. He did. No, be ruthless with that shit. Yeah. All right. What's safe, Julinder? Well, I think the the biggest downside to DIY, at least in my life, is the time that it takes to to do things yourself to, and, you know, it's, it's one thing to buy cages, have them delivered, set them up, you know, that, that still takes a little bit of time, but if you're building the cages, furnishing them, you know, doing all these things, it can take a lot of time. So like for me, I've got like a bunch of uh, wood in the garage just waiting to be made into cages. And I got it like what a year and a half ago and I still haven't, I made, I made a couple and I just, you know, I thought I'd do it a lot faster, but it's a little more time intensive than I thought it would be. So and, you know, I, I go and work on them for a bit and figure out, OK, I need this length and to make the frame to f- frame out the door or whatever. And then and then I forget the measurements. So I don't write them down or I lose my, you know, this, the notes I took and then I go back and I have to measure everything again and figure it all out again. So, you know, it just adds time. But I think that's probably the main um, downside of doing it yourself is or one of them anyway, is is the time that it takes and. You know, I guess if if you know if you're doing it full time, that that might you still have a lot of animals you got to take care of, and so you know it's not like you have any more time than anybody else. But you know, and and I guess if you make it a priority, you know, you can you can do it. But you sometimes you might have to neglect other things that need to be done as well. So timing, time, <laughs> the time suck is uh, one of the major drawbacks of doing it yourself. All right, ring the bell. Julander just won. I can't. I mean, that's exactly. <laughs> right, you're I'm, you're, I'm you're experiencing that, right? Oh yeah, no, no. I, but it doesn't I, stop you. So. No, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. I, I'm totally in the middle of that. Um, it's yeah. taken way longer to, like this whole emerald thing that we're doing with the with the arboreals. We're not doing anything that uh, that is commonly done. So mm-hmm. no commercial caging works for this. I've mm-hmm. I've attempted it with. You know some of the commercial screen caging and stuff, but they all fall short to what I need to get out of them. So, 
but this has kind of been my entire career in this. Um, even when I started 40 years ago, I mean, I didn't have any money at all. Like, like we were we were broke as hell. So yeah. I had to DIY everything, and I had to learn that. And you know, fortunately, me, me uh, you know, growing up the way I did, and and a lot of the way I view the world, and all that kind of lent us. I'm, I'm basically a hardcore DIYer. That's part of the the whole punk metal scene kind of thing that I <laughs> yeah that, that I you know when I'm not doing reptile shit or gaming stuff that's kind of my other you know thing that I'm really follow and stuff so um so yeah it, I mean and then then as I got older though as I've kind of moved along in this I realized that the needs that I have for the stuff that you know that I work on it generally is not available in a commercially purchased product um, most of the commercial product doesn't have enough ventilation for what I need, so I, I end up doing you know if, even not, if I'm not even if I buy commercial caging, I end up having to hybridize it myself and chop it mm-hmm. all up. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I may as well build exactly what I want, you know. But just like you said, that's the time suck. Like <laughs> I started this emerald thing six months ago, expecting to have you know. Uh, be way further along than I am, but like you said, you start. We converted a huge portion of the building to to basically an aluminum kind of factory shop thing, mm. and I actually have my buddy Scott coming over three to three days a week and working here and helping us do it. But it's still taking forever because <laughs> it's just not simple, yeah. and and neither one of us are professional builders, so that's the time. You know, these guys that are really good at that, they can just chop, chop, chop and mm-hmm. get it done. That ain't how it works here. And then, <laughs> you know, like you said, you're constantly getting pulled away that, you know, there's a fire over here. Mm-hmm. You know, with when you have a lot of animals, there's always some shit going on that you got to go and make some kind of modification. And and then there's your half your day's shot at that point. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, um, but... I'm arguing the wrong side here. <laughs> um, but the primary thing of it is that you get to tailor it to exactly what you want for the exact needs that you're trying to meet. And um, and then it's, you know, I mean, you're cutting the labor out. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, co- labor cost anyway. Um, so, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, DIY really is the way to go. I can't think of any, any instance where... Um, you know, I mean that's that's part of the that's one of the biggest overhead parts of of this. You know, if you're doing this as, for a living or even as a hobby, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest expenses is caging. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the killers. So, um, you know, you can cut that out if you can if you're even somewhat handy. And trust me, I'm not handy, and somehow I make this happen. So <laughs> like, I can't yeah. even change the doorknob. That's what I have Jason Hood for. I'm like, dude, the doorknob's busted. Next time you're over here, can you swap it out? <laughs> So, uh, no. so it's uh, it's that bad. But, um. Yeah. Well, I, and I'm maybe you know kind of uh, to that point. Uh, you know, when you do it yourself, like I'm finding out, you know, uh, there's there's added costs that I didn't consider. You know, I thought, oh, I'll just do this and that, and, and then mm-hmm. if if I cut it wrong or something, you know, you you waste some. And so, like you said, you know, the professionals, you know, that they they can get in there, zip it out, and, and be done with it. And so, you know, I've I've heard of people kind of hiring people out to to build stuff, and it sounds like you've got a, a buddy that'll you know help you out in that in that regard to 
you know, that has, has some skills in certain areas or whatnot. So, um, but I, I can't argue with the cost savings overall, you know, you're, you're probably going to make two cages for the price you can buy one. And, and if it's yeah. not commercially available anyway, then, you know, even then, if then you got to make it four times. <laughs> yeah. That's the, I guess that's the cat. The caveat is if you, if you, uh, don't like the finished product and you're if like, you're a well, one and, and done DIY use it, guy. You know, yeah, but I think Ron this. is more of like an evolutionary kind of the <laughs> yeah, IY guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like we're like I said, we're already on the fourth yeah. iteration. <laughs> iteration, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as, and as long as as long as you can either revamp versions one through three, or you know, or or use them for something else, it's not a complete loss, you know. And I and I Ooh. definitely have found uses for things or. or disassemble them and use the parts to, to change it in a certain way. Yeah. That can be tricky I've sometimes. Done that. I'm not trying to say that money shouldn't be the primary factor in all of this, but, you know, because obviously it, it has to be in some, you know, fashion. But, you know, maybe money not being the point of it, you know, DIY sounds pretty good at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. It, and then, especially I mean, if you have to iterate it to to make it better and better and better. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's really the for me that's the big selling point is that yeah. okay. Well, if I buy a commercial, if I spend you know a couple grand on a commercial caging thing, and and it doesn't do what I need it to do, and then I got to start chopping it up anyway. Now yeah. I'm now I'm way in the hole. Way whereas, in the hole. Whereas this, you know. Kind of like what Justin said, you know, we're each one of the iterations um, nowadays. Let me let me back that up a little bit. My old <laughs> method of doing this uh-huh. was build a system, realize that it sucks, and then trash the whole thing. It actually turned into this enormous pile of shit behind my building <laughs> that we had to rent three freaking oh. giant dumpsters to get rid of, and that was only three years worth of throwing oh, shit man. in the bin. There's yeah. probably so much money lost there. I don't even want to know about it. Yeah, but um, but I was trying all these different kind of like like I try. We we were in a warehouse for a while, so so that I wasn't I totally wasn't ready for that, and I was trying mm-hmm. all these these things, and they all were just awful. And then we moved <laughs> out here, and then I tried some stuff with the building, and I didn't like that. But for this particular project, I actually sat down. It's been a long time, like yeah. like months, thinking about okay, I needed to do this, that, and the other thing. And what is the what's going to look the best? You know, I wanted it to look nice. Whereas mm-hmm. typically, I don't give a shit. You know, the box is a <laughs> yeah. box. Yeah. So it's like you know, I don't really care. You know how it looks, just as long as it's totally functional for what I need, <laughs> and it gets the job done. But this time, I was like, you know, well, I want I want to actually kind of really enjoy this. I want to walk out there and have all everything be uniform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I'm pumping a massive amount of water. Like we built an entire overhead uh, sprinkler system that's 10 feet in the air suspended above all these enclosures that we turn on and we actually rain for several hours a day on on all this stuff. And to do that, um, when you start pumping that much water into a species like that, which – I, I now absolutely am convinced that that's one of the primary problems in captivity is that these things, they need – an immense amount of rain. It takes on average 20 minutes of hardcore rain to even trigger them to begin to drink. But once they drink, they drink for a long time (laughs) and they, they'll do this every day. 
but they yeah. don't do anything for 15 minutes until uh, 15 to 20 minutes and then all of a sudden they all start drinking and you can see this like down the line all these like if you have one or two you don't know you know is that yeah. kind of anecdotal but when you have 80 snakes yeah. doing it <laughs> and the vast majority of them are doing it at the same time that's yeah. that's a pretty that's uh, real data right there <laughs> yeah yeah so but in order to cool. do that you have to rate the temperatures must be much higher because they got to be able i found that they tend to like 94 degrees is what they're looking for <laughs> body temp <laughs> so and the gravid females are 111 and it's almost wow. to an animal <laughs> so they got to get really hot much hotter than where people do and then when you're putting that much rain in there you better damn well have really good ventilation or they'll get sick <laughs> so you're looking at you're looking at heat and, and super high humidity, super high amount of water, and to be able to actually pour down rain and not totally destroy your enclosures and yes. flood them. That's a big yeah, ass. You ain't doing that without that's the, a lot. the hell out of that. God yeah. damn. Yeah. So, so And that's that's more than just a cage, dude. That's like a yeah, whole system, you know? That's yeah, a, that's that, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I talk yeah. about it, that's uh, that's what I do. I only, mm-hmm. I won't, I don't waste. I shouldn't say waste my time. I do this for a living. Obviously, you yeah. guys know this, but I do this for a living. I, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. So I can't have a pair of this and a pair of that. Yeah. I can't have things that are not producing. If if they're if they're here and they're you know their money is going into them, we need to. They need to be efficiency is a big deal for mm-hmm. us. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It, you know, if I had sixty snakes, this is why I'm doing this though. The whole point of this and to take it to this level on this edge is to try to get the vast majority of them to produce every year mm-hmm. and not, not have 40 snakes and only have three or four go every season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to get them all, all or most of them to go. And, and, and I've been able to do this with a lot of species, a lot, some of which a lot of those lizard species are super fucking tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, snakes are not that much dif- different in any way, really. So I'm looking for that same kind of, uh, that, like I said, the bleeding edge, Mm-hmm, and yeah. I think this system is going to have those results. And and, cool. and if it doesn't this year, maybe another maybe another year of tweaking. Mm-hmm. Um, winter is. Our but you feel like you're on to something that's for sure. That's uh, dude going to be a. You. It's going to be solid. Now you're looking at minor tweaking, right? Like is how you kind of yes. feel about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. to put I mean, words I, in you. I just kind of like you know. No, no, and and I actually have been working on this privately in my head for 10 years like this isn't something i just started on a whim (laughs) yeah 10 years ago when i realized that those all those giant anoles had all of the same issues that chondros and emeralds have including Mm -hmm. chronic regurgitation if they get too dehydrated (laughs) and in the process of me um and and honestly i started working on it and every time i would defeat an issue because it's one thing like you see a lot of people that are fairly successful with them but when you have a pair of something and you get six eggs a year, that's that is successful. Mm-hmm. But that's not really where the bleeding edge on those things are. The mm-hmm. bleeding edge on those things is twenty five eggs a year per female, and the bleeding edge on those things is that you know um, you know you have they're they're almost all burning at max capacity all the time. They're you know the the they're extremely efficient. So. But to get there um, requires a lot of creative stuff. And yeah. honestly, 
it took 10 years. Every every couple years I would I would defeat a problem. One of the problems with them was obviously getting the, enough water in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I was I was at a Culver's with Casey Cannon <laughs> and he, he was sitting across from me and we were shooting the shit about different stuff and all of a sudden what I refer to as the water bowl problem just clicked. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, there it is." Because snakes drink from a water bowl and an old stone. So yeah. you would think that the pro- that that because they drink from a bowl that that would be enough. Why would you have a hydration problem as long as you got a fresh water bowl in there? Mm-hmm. But that ain't true, man. Mm-hmm. And what it is is they're they require fucking prompting. Just like I, I think mm-hmm. this is true of all shit because mm-hmm. we've actually seen it with the blue tongues when we started overflowing the bowls every day. All of a sudden, we didn't we didn't get slugs anymore, and all, and our efficiency went through the roof because. They're ectotherms, and they require environmental prompting for every single life activity all snakes do. Think about it. The number one thing when you ask people about changing their water, they all say the same thing. Well, I change the water once a week, but you know what? I notice that when I change it, they all come over and drink. So that's why, because you prompted them to come and drink. They Otherwise, they sat in the corner, and they were in a state of mild dehydration until something prompted them or they happened to, you know, run into the bowl. But think about it. Mm-hmm. That's why it happens all the time. It's whether, whether it's the smell of the water, just adding fresh water, whether it's the action of you sliding open the enclosure and then adding a little. So I noticed that, at, you know, a few years ago, listening to podcasts and stuff, everybody would say the same thing. And I'm like, oh, well, I wonder. But I never could really rectify it. And then mm-hmm. and then I. I figured it out in my own for my own personal. Um, that was just like the last thing. I just couldn't could never come to terms with that because I was like, okay, well, as long as the water bowl is full, they should be fine. But that's not it. And for the the emeralds and chondros, particularly, it seems like they need a long period of uh, emeralds. Particularly, chondros don't seem they seem to be a little less. Uh, they're mm-hmm. probably from a slightly drier area, maybe. I'm, I'm not really, you know, I haven't been on the ground myself on either location. So I, I, I can only go by what I've read and people I've talked to that have been there. But mm-hmm. but with the emeralds, for sure, it's it's a full 15 minutes um, mm-hmm. before they really seem to get triggered. And once they do, they drink a lot and they drink every day. Yeah. So I think that's... I- I, I think that's, you know, that, that critical idea of, of knowing what an animal needs and how to provide it. You know, that's and, and, uh, you know, for the most part, we don't necessarily think a lot about that because we get a care sheet or we talk to somebody who's been successful with them and they tell us what they do, you know, and you're like, okay, now I know how to do it. And now we're good. But no, nobody ever does what you're, you know, well, I won't, I won't say nobody ever does it, but, but people tend to kind of go with what's easy instead of risking an animal to test a hypothesis, to see if a a new, you know, thing is, is going to work. And I mean, you're doing that. And, you know, like you said, you put a lot of thought into it and a lot of research into it, you know, thinking about their natural environment and stuff. And I, I mean that, that interview on chameleon uh, Academy podcast with Peter Neckis and Neckis, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but, but he talked about how he'd never seen, a, a chameleon drinking water you know he'd seen him do everything else in the wild 
And then he, he weighed a chameleon before it went to sleep. And then he weighed it again when it woke up and it had gained substantial weight overnight from, water vapor. from fog. Yeah. Just yeah. breathing in the water. And so who would have thought chameleons get their water from breathing it in? You know, you, you spray down the leaves and they go over and lick it off. But you know, now, now with that in, in, in mind of, of breathing in the water, you know, a chameleon licking water off a leaf is severely dehydrated and desperate for moisture. You know, it's going to do something it doesn't ever do in the wild. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, but for how many years have we been spraying our chameleon cages down or, or, or letting it rain on them? And we think, okay, now I'm keeping my chameleon the right way. But for all those years, nobody really was. And now we've got foggers in there to turn on at night and fog them and they get water how they're supposed to get water, you know? Yeah, I and think it could very well be the same thing um, for a lot of these snakes as well. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. my stuff's outside, I'm getting that. They're getting mm-hmm. water vapor. And I live – the property that we live on is sandwiched between two large lakes. Mm-hmm. So um, the the – the the humidity here is <laughs> ungodly yeah. and uh it's all, almost almost to the point where it's very uncomfortable to work outside in the summertime here mm-hmm. but it's been really good like for a lot of this stuff and i think in, in so I, th- I do think that's part of it i mean if you think about the nature of that snake all, all those you know that that compact coil arboreal the condor or the emerald mm-hmm. they sit on the edge of branches they're not in the middle Mm-hmm. They're out there catching water. That's what mm-hmm. that is. That's a water collection device. Yeah, it catches dew. It catches rain. Then, then they're also out there. You know, uh, they're immersed in it all the time. They're breathing in air, you know, air, water vapor, and then on top of it, there it floods where a lot of them are. They they feed from the ground, so they come down at night. They pick their food off the ground. But if they're in a floodplain, they're probably going down there drinking that water. Then there's bromeliads and stuff like that that occur there that also collect water in the branches. So when they're out mm-hmm. cruising, maybe that's, you know, they know oh it rains, so now I can go over to this, you know, this little plant that's attached to the side of this tree, and I can get my water there. So super water dependent. And I think that's been, uh, been the limiting factor. And because of that, back to DIY thing, that is why I I had, we had to change everything to make this happen. And DIY was, is really the only way to go. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure though, if there was a commercial available thing that I would even, I would still end up DIYing my own stuff at the end of the day, because nobody's going to do exactly what uh, you're, you know, they're going to have like a base thing that basically good, but it's not going to be exact to what you. Oh yeah. I mean, if I were to try to replicate or make, you know, like I, I saw what you did and you know, okay, we got to make your, I can't take my stuff outside and do that in Utah, you know, maybe a a two months out of the year, three months out of the year, but then the rest of the time I've got to do that indoors. And so it's going to be a completely different design. It might achieve the same goal. You know, I might find a way to, to be able to rain, you know, get a bunch of shower stalls and line them up and just have, you know, water flood them a couple hours and have it, you know, recirculate or drain off or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a a completely different animal. So, you know, I, I can't just adopt exactly what you do. And so, you know, I think, I think that's one of the, you know, now I'm arguing your side or, or my side as well. But, um, you know, when you, when you DIY, you, you have to take in, you know, in, in a lot more things into consideration and, and, but I do think you can meet the needs of the animals better that way, you know, because, you know, 
using the chameleons again as, a, as an example, a lot of the chameleon breeders were in Florida and they'd have screen cages outside. Yep. And so you don't need to do a lot. But then we try to have a screen cage inside in Utah and it's dry and you're always yep. having to constantly put water in there. And it's like almost just like putting a bandaid on a, on a, you know, open artery or something, trying to stop yep. the bleeding and it just doesn't work. So you need, yep. you know, a, a solid wall cage or a glass cage or what, you know, a bigger plastic cage or something to contain that humidity. And, and so, you know, just adopting something that somebody came up with is not, not the, the best way to do it. But like you said, you might go through several iterations to figure that out and figure out how to do it in your area, because you might do yeah. something and think this is going to fix it. And it doesn't work. And you're like, well, it didn't, you know, I didn't consider this or I didn't take this into account or, you know, that, this, that, and the other, like, you know, I think you told us one time about um, building some outdoor caging and then there was a tree that shaded that, you know, half the, that, you know, that a couple months out of the year. Totally yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah. you know, you don't want to cut down the tree because it's a, no. you know, a substantial part of the landscape. So, you know, yeah. you have to move those cages somewhere else or something. I didn't you know, even do that. I just, I just don't use it. We use it for, <laughs> we did, I, I, I actually turned it into a prehensile tail skink enclosure for a oh, while, okay. yeah. which they worked really good under there because it was all mm-hmm. shaded. But now we've got giant anoles in there and it's working well. So, okay. But yeah, yeah. but it was initially done for the lace monitors and it was a total failure. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they were just trapped in this shaded area for ha- a significant portion of the year. Yeah. And, uh, but that definitely, I mean, that goes along kind of with our conversation is, you, you know, you might fail with one species, but you can probably adapt it for something, for something else, else to yeah. use. And, and that's, yeah, that's an, Stop. <laughs> an important, <laughs> we got to have some input from Ruby. Come on, Chuck. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just having that. And, and, you know, I, I, I will put out a plug for, you know, knowing the natural history of the animals, knowing what they do in the wild. And, you know, some of these seeing him in the wild, you know, like a, a picture's worth a thousand words. You know, if you yeah. get out and see him in the wild, it's going to help you understand. And like, I think like you've done is is make those comparisons or jumps with species that you've you know seen in the wild, experienced in the wild yeah. and know kind of their habits and what they're how they're surviving and succeeding in the wild and then adapting that to species from across the world, you know, because I do think certain you know rainforest inhabitants are going to get rain you know so like you can probably make the assumption that any of them are probably going to be okay in that environment and actually benefit from it i mean i mean think about it the species that we have the hardest problem with in captivity almost uniformly across all things and i mean everything from frogs to you know lizards and snakes they're all rainforest stuff yeah and if you think about our caging and the way we tend to keep things, it's all everything we do is dry. So the thing, the dry stuff does well because that's what we have developed over the last 50 years. We, mm-hmm. for some reason, think we can take the rainforest out of a rainforest species. And that tends, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, when you say it, it sounds silly, but I mean, even I was at the same, of, of the same opinion, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that wasn't necessary. But, mm-hmm. Uh, the more I worked on those anoles and they're actually not even rainforest. Like, you know, they're from Cuba. So they get a similar amount of rain that we get here in Florida. It's really not a whole hell of a lot of difference, but when you lock them into a confine them into a small enclosure, you know, you're responsible for how they get, the, how much water they get. Cause you're limiting where they can go yeah. and get their water. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
so there was there was there was things like that, um, and and then at the very end, which uh, it was funny, man. I went for years pumping a, a large amount of water into those anoles, and I, I was always struggling to keep them hydrated. And I was like, I don't understand why this is the way it is because. I'm raining on them for an hour a day when it doesn't rain, and it rains here all the friggin' time. Mm-hmm. And yet they're they're always like borderline, you know. They're always like on the verge of dehydration. Mm-hmm. And then someone relayed to me, I think it was Mike Lorett down in in Miami. He mentioned to me that he knew somebody that was studying the giant anoles, I think in Florida, and they mm-hmm. found that they're eating primarily fruit all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not really eating insects and stuff like that. And then I started to think about them. Like, well, we coat all their bugs with calcium, which is a dehydrating powder. <laughs> and then we we shove this into these things, and we're not really giving them a lot of fruit. So I did a radical, radical change in their diet. I took them off all everything but they get fruit every day, and then um, and then they get super horn. Uh, not superworms, hornworms once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was a total game really? changer. Like it wow. was a shocking difference. Now all of a sudden, now they always look because they're eating all this fruit that has a high water content. Yeah. And then there's probably vitamins exactly. and stuff they're getting yep. from that. So I just rotate whatever random um, soft fruit is available at the time. So they get, mm-hmm. a, you know, whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, and all we do is we set it, on, on these shelves and they just eat it at will all the time. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. a hell of a lot cheaper to feed too. Now that they're not eating bugs. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. You can probably grow a lot of the fruits in your yard too, or yeah, I mean, get yeah, them locally have, sourced, you know, correct. For, we have, yeah. yeah, we have some of that. And, and, mm-hmm. um, I have people that give us like bags of mangoes and stuff, Yeah, but cool. all that went into the hydrating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, again, though, it's, back to the DIY thing. It's just, yeah. I mean, all that shit, like, like I said, I've tried commercial caging. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I wanted an indoor thing, I paid a guy to build very specific tanks for me, for my indoor setup that I wanted. I wanted to fit a certain thing. I wanted a certain kind of, of, um, of airflow, you know, very specific materials. Um, and I couldn't build my own tank, so I did pay a guy to do this. But that's still DIY. Yeah, you, you know, designed you, it. Yeah, you're not. You're not. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think I have anything here anymore, other than the Zoomed screen cages, which are basically just overflow for when you know if we have too much of something, then those are cheap, quick to assemble, and you can throw a potted plant in there, and they're okay for a couple weeks, and they're fine. Yeah. Long term, though, they don't. I've never been able to make them work. Um, mm-hmm. re, you know seriously but um but yeah that's that's the other big question too is like some of these commercially and and again this is probably more on your side of the argument but (laughs) these commercial cages like sometimes you're wondering who designs these or you know again maybe not they don't fit every environment and you know uh, again uh, yeah i guess i kind of already talked about that a little bit in regards to like chameleon keeping in utah versus florida you know you're gonna have a different cage for for different needs so the commercial cages is kind of like one size fits all but one size very rarely fits all (laughs) you know sometimes you barely get it to fit one in in the you know, right environment. Well, I mean, I almost, I almost feel like the caging, you know, pre-made caging is almost like a materials, 
you know, like a materials and cost thing. Uh, what materials are available to make caging at what cost, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it was primary was glass, you know, for a long time. And then now plastics are, are becoming, you know, the, the way. So I don't even necessarily think like, this is a different size box. You know what I mean? Nobody's making any enclosures in mind for animals. Um, yeah. Out of the big, yeah. big manufacturers, right? Yeah. Like they're, yeah, they're just, sure. they're, they're kind of a, here's, here's a, a, you know, whatever you're putting in here, you properly size it to that. And that's what goes in there. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, I mean, the, you know, Ron's DIY is like for that animal. And I don't even think that Correct. there's any, any large manufacturers that are even saying our intent with this is this type of reptile, this yeah. snake, oh, yeah, uh, no. you know, you know what I mean? So, it, it, so sorry, Justin, I didn't, I don't think Ron needs help. Yeah, John, I know he doesn't, <laughs> I'm going to help him anyway. <laughs> it is a good point. But yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no. yeah. And it's probably also not even worth it for them to do that. I mean, that's yeah, such a I agree. Huge, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't think, really make a business off of, yeah. you know, and I guess that's what I was kind of coming yeah. at in the beginning of what I was saying is their mm-hmm. considerations have zero to really even do with like reptiles. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost uh yeah. what am I going to make this out of and what sizes do I need to kind of like fill a nipper? Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard an, an interesting, uh, uh, podcast yeah, there is uh phil and and um oh my gosh roy <laughs> roy <laughs> sorry roy <laughs> their podcast uh they were talking to again name's gonna fail me but um he's from oh zach Porritt. He he lives in utah and uh I, I I didn't know who he was, but he he's he's mostly into like aquariums and fish and stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he uh, built a giant like greenhouse in his backyard, you know. And at first, he was just thinking like a, a room size enclosure, and then it just kept expanding. Steamrolled from there, huh? <laughs> he's got this fifteen thousand dollar you know greenhouse in his backyard with a pond, and you know he's keeping his arowanas and, and the, the big rays, you know, black and white rays or whatever. That sounds like my type of motherfucker right there. <laughs> it's pretty God cool. Damn. Yeah. It looks, yeah. It looks pretty Shit. sweet. So <laughs> I will say that, you know, DIY doesn't always save money. <laughs> you, no. you might be paying more, That's but you, you get the product you want. But in the you're, end, you're, you're gonna fucking awesome it. for it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. And you know, the, uh, so I, I guess it's not always a cost saving venture, but I, I would no. say that it, probably fits the needs of the animals better you know if you can if you can understand what they need and provide that with that cage you know and design it with that in mind yeah i mean i mean look if you look across all things pretty much no matter what it is doesn't matter um any type of thing even you know just whatever it is as soon mm-hmm. as it's most of the stuff produced by large corporations is just kind of generic Less Mm -hmm. than, never that good. You want some really good shit. If you want really good food, you don't go to a chain place. You go to some badass mom and pop place. You want (laughs) really good, you know, whatever it is. You go to a very specific people or a group of people that are doing this very specific thing. They're almost very small. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
when you're doing when you're working with animals outside of the especially for what we do since reptiles are very um very specific and a lot of their needs um all the commercially designed shit is for the generic pet store crap Mm, I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can keep a fish, a snake, a hamster, (laughs) whatever you want in this 10, 10 gallon aquarium or something. So if you're a serious hobbyist and you're working on stuff that's not readily available in pet stores, you know, like Chuck with those fucking, um, amethystines or or whatever. And, you know, or with the emeralds Mm -hmm. or all the crazy stuff that you work on, you really got to DIY your shit because I mean, I guess, I guess for the larger snakes, you're in a little bit of a better spot because they were basically people spend a lot of money and research working out the ball python rack. Like that thing is that's that's a that's a modern marvel right there. That that CB seventy rack is designed. No matter how you feel about whether they need more space or whatever, just put that aside. Mm-hmm. That thing is, took took a snake that was formerly very difficult to produce. I remember when they were considered unbreedable. Mm-hmm. Like that was a not something most people didn't even want to bother. They they don't yeah. eat, they don't breed in captivity all this. And now <laughs> I mean, go to a show. Yeah, what so, do you see? I mean even eight, little 8-year-old kids are doing it, you know, cuz it's a plug yep. and play system. Get mm-hmm. mom, get your mom to buy you a couple snakes, get your mom to buy you a rack, plug it in, throw in food, and you're good. Yeah. Because it was very specifically tailored for that one fucking thing. Now, it does have some, obviously, some side effects that it that it does work on other a few other species that are sort of this, inhabit the same kind of niche, yeah. you know, ground-dwelling, mm-hmm. relatively dry. Yeah. Um, and then, to a lesser extent, you know, the, the, the vision cages and stuff, um, they were designed for larger pythons and boas. Really, the boa constrictor is probably what drove yeah. that more than anything. If you yeah. look at the sizes of the cages and everything, that was the number two. And um, but you know they work on other species that you can pull it off with. So, um, but outside of that, there's not a whole lot. Like you know, there's problems with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Isn't that maybe that's kind of the key to, to all this? If you if you want a commercially viable pet type of animal you need to kind of figure those things out i mean you look at alan with the you know crested geckos he he makes a diet for him he you know he figures out all these details and makes it easy for people to keep them and so i guess you know when you're doing it commercially you got to take that into consideration how can i make this uh accessible to the masses and um maybe that's kind of one of the things if you're if you're diying it and um, that makes it very difficult to make it commercially available for the masses. If you know, you say, okay, you can keep this species, but you have to build this, you know, giant. I, I just want to say, I just want to say that I think making it available to the masses goes against the principles of DIY. Because, and here's why I say that: because what works in Ron's spot doesn't work in Justin's spot. Well, I mean, so just, how you DIY is yeah. is specific to what you're doing, where you are, that kind of stuff. And potentially, it just, I mean, we just talked just, about the 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 ball pythons and how you know they were unbreedable, but somebody right, but uh, but know. they weren't breeding them in CB70 racks outside. In, no, no. But, but what I'm saying is they you know they what I'm saying up like, with so, the rack system right. and, and I get, then they yeah, became, yeah, yeah, I yeah. get that. I get so that. it did, you know, it kind of was a way to bring it to the masses. But if, you know, if you're saying, 
you have to, you know, do this, this, this complex thing to get them to, to succeed. Right. And, and very few people can do that or, or I just think even indoors, even Mm -hmm. indoors, you get enough, like your winner and my winner indoors aren't the same. Yeah. My summer and Ron's summer aren't the same, even though I'm not saying you don't have to adapt it to your local situation, but I think once you kind of figure out this is the primary need or the basic needs of this animal, and if it's very complex, that that species probably won't be commercially viable. I Not see. many people so you're, are you're, succeed you're, with it. You're, like you're, you're saying, Tracy, right? You're you, saying you, taking, making the, the, the idea or the concept of what like, – like flowing lots of water through the cage as the concept, selling yeah, that, that and then having difficult. people figure out how they accomplish that themselves. Mm-hmm. Is that what not, you're not that, not that you can't it? keep them other ways. And I, and I think, you know, of course people have been keeping emerald basins, you know, the, 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 the uh, emerald tree boas for – quite a while without doing, you know, the things Ron's doing. And I think he's taking it to the next level, of course. But mm-hmm. so, so I'm not saying that, you know, if somebody's successful like Ron with, with the Emerald tree bows, that there won't be a market and people won't be able to keep them successfully. They just might not be able to take them to the ed, you know, to the, to the razor's well, edge. I just, <laughs> I just look at it. I mean, with the way Ron's doing it, it is just such a proof of concept of yeah. like, yeah. And you know, exactly it's, it's kind of like once, yeah. Once he's success, once he breeds eighty fucking snakes year after year with yeah. that, everyone's going to be like, "Oh fuck, we can't yeah. keep him like this anymore." This is mm-hmm. like clear. I mean, like clearly we're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And and Ron is showing us he's right year yeah. after year, and and so you know it's it's the it's really the only way to force. Uh, I, I think it's really the only way to force the change on people is, and you do it counterculture wise. You show them mm-hmm. the other way because the industry's not going to show them. Industry's not going to change for them. Yeah, you know. Goddamn, Chuck, you and me got to hang dude. out, man. Hey, bro, I'm I'm on your I'm I'm I vibe with you, dude. I, I've told you that. You know what's what's funny about that is that is exactly so so when I. Heather and I and and Scott Scott's bankrolling this. This is something that if I had to do this financially, we could not do this. So mm-hmm. so he's bankrolling it, but Heather and I. So the three of us sat down and we had this long conversation when I pulled this together, and they were looking at me like, "Holy shit, we got to do this." When I mapped <laughs> it all out, but I had a, yeah. I have an entire map yeah. of not only so not only are we doing this, I'm doing it outside first because that's where my I have all this infrastructure for that. Like mm-hmm. that's the simplest, but also because I'm looking, like I said, razor's edge. But but at the mm-hmm. same time, I have this 1,500 square foot building that we are working on an indoor version. So this my system is actually indoor outdoor. Okay, nice. but there's no reason why you could not. It just requires that, like you were just saying, Chuck. It requires you to rethink how you think about this, mm-hmm. right? So so you can't think about okay, I'm just going to get you know a a vision cage with sliding doors and I'm just going to spray them with, you know, a mister or whatever that just throw that out. You have to have drainage. You have to start thinking somewhat along the lines of like, like a fish company would do, you know, you need, you need to have a basin to collect the water. You need to be able to flood it. You need to be able to drain it. You need to be able to dry it. You need to be able to do all these things, but it's actually not that complicated. It sounds complicated, but realistically these things, I don't feel like they're, I, I honestly, I really did, at this point I'm almost 
100% convinced that the vast majority of them in captivity are maintained in a mild state of dehydration, not enough to kill them, but not enough to really get like, that's why you see a lot of slugs. Slugs are definite. Mm -hmm. I'm 100% convinced after all the time I've been doing this, that, that when you get infertile eggs, uh, that's a big red uh, red marker that your animals were not hydrated well enough, whether it's in the males or the females or both. It completely dissolves if you stay on top of the water. And I mean, the biggest impact you can do for yourself is just to either overflow or add a little bit of water or clean your bowl every day. Mm. And I'm telling you that the effect is dramatic and it's across. Mm. It doesn't matter because you're telling that animal, hey, you got water, come drink. Otherwise, they're not going to expend the energy. At least, yeah. at least in ambush predators, and to a, to a lesser extent, some some uh, more uh, hunting species. But mm-hmm. it seems I, like I, a shocking difference. Yeah. I heard an interesting discussion about uh, water temperature, and that you know somebody was had had given their snake you know cold water, and it it kind of went down and checked it out, but it didn't really do much. And then he gave it some warm water. And again, N of one, you know, take it with right. a grain of salt, but gave it some warmer water and it went immediately in and took a big hearty drink. And he tried it a few times, you know, to show that that, and, and I'm not sure if that animal just preferred warm water or if that's a, you know, a real thing, but what, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious to your thoughts on the temperature of the water, you know, see, so I'm not doing any of that. I'm using straight water, well water right out of the ground, mm-hmm. but it's hot as fuck where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So when I'm pumping that water out and it's falling through the air, it's it, its temperature is probably being you know rapidly uh, yeah. raised. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to say, but it wouldn't surprise me because you know I guess depending on where you're at too, your groundwater could be a hell of a lot colder than mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there could be all kinds of things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I. Dude, I I really at this point I I feel like we don't know shit about this stuff. Yeah. Like all of our it's so complex. You know what is an interesting side effect to this though that I haven't really brought up? I don't think. So obviously I'm doing all imports, right? All my condors mm-hmm. are imports, and I'm getting them from places that most people would not buy snakes <laughs> from. Yeah. So all the emeralds are imports for, except for a couple. So mites are a common thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mites cannot survive in my in my enclosures. Right. Right. Within a couple days, they're all fucking gone. Yeah. Um, And I know they've come in because I've opened the bags. I saw the mites in there. I was like, I didn't even, I didn't treat them. I wanted to see because I didn't think mites could survive in this environment. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, there's not a fucking one, not one. And some of these places have, are notorious for super mites. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and then they come out of the wild. Obviously some of them are like that, you know, that mites are just a thing. Like mm-hmm. most, they get treated. So most people don't run into them. But if you're dealing with imported snakes, most of them have come into contact with mites and it's not really a big deal. As long as you get it, get rid of them. You don't want it obviously, mm-hmm. but there ain't, a, there's not a fucking mite here, dude. They can't, they can't live in that thing. So mm-hmm. I think that's another, uh, big plus to DIY, um, because the enclosures we built don't, don't um, facilitate uh, mites surviving, yeah. reproducing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the dry, somewhat cool environments, you created the perfect spot for the standard snake mite on top mm-hmm. of it. And then, not to mention, 
you know, I was telling some, maybe it was you, I was talking about, you know, the fact that UV is a natural virus inhibitor yeah. and, mm-hmm. and good and clean air is too. Yeah. So if you have, you have good air circulation, UV, Bam. that makes a big difference when you're bringing in stuff that may or may not have anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but our standard enclosures, you know, they're in a box with low ventilation. Most people don't use UV uh, on snakes. But it's very mm-hmm. common in lizards, and it's very rare to have. And lizards carry yeah. all the, all kinds of crap too. I mean, sure. they, the gametes have adenovirus, and yeah. you know, it's very rare though that you ever hear about a collection being wiped out or something like that. And it, initially, I thought, well, it's you know, because people are kind of tight lipped about it, but it still gets out. Like if somebody get mm-hmm. lose the collection, they inevitably bitch to somebody about it, who then yeah. tells somebody else. You find out. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And are you saying that the reptile industry leaks like a sieve, Ron? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, <basically. laughs> the reptile industry is full of shit, but um, but uh, yeah, people are pretty. Di- you know, people don't tend to talk about. It. I mean, I, th- I feel yeah. like if we did openly discuss a lot of this shit, we could make a lot more advances. Because if you yeah. have a bunch of different brains working on these problems, you know we'd make more advances, but we're a little too uh, worried about backlash, I suppose, backlash or damaging. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I just admitted that I had mites in all my snakes, but I guarantee you that when I prove this out and I produce them, I won't have any fucking problems selling them and neither would anybody else because yeah. when they leave here, they'll be fucking perfect and mm-hmm. there won't be a damn mite on them. So, I mean, so I'll openly discuss all that shit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I don't. I don't even know where I was going with this, but but um, <laughs> I totally went off in left field. Anyway, that was one of the big pluses to the DIY thing, though, is that by radically changing up. I think I I told you in a in a message. I I basically looked at what everybody had done previously, um, and I and I and, and it nobody's really to blame for this, right? Like, but the foundation initially, way back like 40, 50 years ago, for this whole arboreal snake thing was faulty to begin with. So all these guys that have come up since then have all just they assumed that what they were told was correct and then they've added, you know, little things on top of it. And so I mean that's really the story though, most of herpetoculture. Like we don't do anything here the way standard like I've I've had people come here go, what the hell are you doing? None of this is supposed to be the way it is. And I'm like, well, you know, we work within the confines of nature and use kind of a logical approach to things. There ain't a whole hell of a lot of logic in a lot of herpetoculture, unfortunately, mm-hmm. at, the, at, yeah. at the time. I mean, at least on on a certain level. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's guys like you that, you know, you, you hear like that's why I love podcasts, because you guys pretty much all of you are are, uh, you know, serious and you're all the guys that are actually using logic. But outside of a very small group of us. You know, maybe five percent. The rest of it, not a lot of logic. A lot of bullshit that gets passed on as mm-hmm. fact. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just mired in shit, and yeah. it's hard to to mm-hmm. figure out. You know, so um, I, honestly, that's been my whole thing the entire time that I've been doing this. I deconstruct everything down to, and then I start building back on top. Okay, this this seems logical. This seems like it'd work. This seems fucking ridiculous. I don't know where this idea came from, so I'm going to put mm-hmm. this over here. 
sometimes those ridiculous ideas you find out later on, oh, they're not so ridiculous because I just mm-hmm. didn't know a certain thing and now it makes sense. Yeah. But man, a lot of times it doesn't make sense ever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you yeah. know, and that's what I'm doing here. And again, that's a DIY approach is just like Chuck said, it's a counterculture. Fuck you to the man kind of thing. I'm going to do this mm-hmm. shit my way. And yeah. and the hell with uh, the hell with the current, you know, the current paradigm or. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, then I think there's needs to be a whole lot more of us doing that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's I mean, again, that's, you know, the trick is to to get other people seeing the benefits of of doing that work and doing that thinking and, and, and reasoning those things out because you, you can make a lot of, a lot of groundbreaking strides, but I think it's, you know, laziness. It's easier just to kind of go with the flow. And follow I don't the, know if it's laziness. Yeah. I just think it's a lot of people are much more risk averse than Ron is. Yes, Ron's willing agree, to stick yeah. his wiener into the deep end of the pool <laughs> at a moment's notice. It's, I mean, yep. tell me I'm fucking wrong. You know what I'm no, saying? You're, I, you're right. Dude. <laughs> and, and most people aren't willing to risk, you know, most people don't yeah. have the, 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 the pair to, to risk like that. You know what yeah. I mean? So, um, most people are unwilling to, they'll take a suboptimal system and run with it because it can still be profitable. But, but, than- but again, I, you know, I, I guess, I, I guess I wouldn't see it as much of a risk because he's experienced He's he's taken, you know, his his lessons learned from other species. He's applying those things. He's thought about this is not just a fly by night like, oh, I bet if I do this, this is going to happen. So, so, you know, but 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 certainly we can can agree. Certainly we can agree that Ron takes much greater risks than your even your average professional sure, reader. Sure. No, I right? mean, yeah, definitely buying, like, you know, a bunch of emerald tree boas and, and <laughs> keeping outside. Yeah, um, you know, there, I mean, these different concepts yeah, is, but, is definitely, but, but again, I mean, he's put, he's put the work in. Well, I don't right. want I don't well, want to make it seem but, like he's you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah. So, naive or anything like he, no, 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 there's, there's no, a lot of people thought that I heard yeah. stuff like that. I, I heard <laughs> sure. stuff. I, yeah. I heard people, People were saying, "Oh, they're, they're, he's crazy. There's no way they can survive. You got to keep him at 86 degrees maximum." I was mm-hmm. like, "All right, well, they'll tell me pretty quick if that's what they yeah. need." And it turned out, no, that's actually not true at all. That they would bask even when it was 97 fucking degrees outside. They wow. would, they had the ability. I, like I don't put any, I don't force anything into it. So when I put stuff outside, it has multi-tiered yeah. zones that it can mm-hmm. get whatever it needs, get out of. And they were intentionally basking until their body temperatures hit 94. And then almost to a fucking boa, they would retire into the shade. And then they would maintain that 94. And if they had to, they would stick a coil into a into a, a beam of sunlight and raise yeah. their body temperature back up. Wow. And it was – it was that was eye-opening. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> there's one, one bullshit uh, thing kicked to the yep. curb. But I think I understand it though. If you keep them at a cooler temperature – you're not dehydrating them as fast. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you raise the temperature and you keep them in a dry box, you're going to fucking kill them pretty quick because they're going to dehydrate way quicker yeah. than if you're maintaining them at 82 or 86. Yeah. So they're probably, like I said, it's it's not it's not severe dehydration. It's it's mild. It's mild enough that you feel like oh I'm doing everything right. Yeah. And it and and you get occasional breedings this way, even though you're not really getting you know 
a lot of viable offspring. You're getting some viable offspring. You're getting slugs. You're getting dry sheds. You're getting all this shit that's clear yeah. indicator that it's not enough, but it's not enough to put them in the ground. Mm-hmm. So, and and I'm looking for that fucking optimal. I walk outside. Everybody's bright green. Their heads are blown out. You know, they they they're they're the dome on the top of their head gets really really full, huh. and when they're really hydrated, they shine wow. like they're dark. Yeah. It's <laughs> dude. I, I I should have done these before and after with this group of arucondros that I got in recently. It yeah. was last week. They looked like shit. You could see their ribs. Uh-huh. They were skinny as fuck. I almost passed on it, and then I was like, you know. I really want these, so I'm just going to go ahead. I bought 13 of them, mm-hmm. and three days, three days. I posted a picture of one today. Three mm-hmm. days in this system, and man, that's a totally different snake. <laughs> that's so, so cool. They all fed today. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so like, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But, yeah, it's, it, is, <laughs> it is super risky. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. but I've got forty years and yeah, and and that's and what I was going to say is species. yeah, yeah, it is super risky. But I, but I mean, but I am I am I am the risk. I do take I, I yeah. Well, a long time ago when I was a kid, realized there was there's no fucking point in playing it safe. Yeah, playing it safe <laughs> is just boring and it, it'll drive. I mean, I've had some spectacular losses with these risks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and but I've had some some pretty damn good wins too. So yeah, um, and I value both of those things. I mm-hmm. learned more. Yeah. I learned way more from the losses than I did from the wins. The wins, mm-hmm. most of them, they you know you kind of like okay, that's awesome. You know, I I was able to keep going. I made some money. I did this and I added this notch. But but I don't really you don't really learn a whole hell of a lot from those. But man, the times you get your fucking dick chopped off and you know <laughs> that's yeah that's that's brutal, man. For sure, yeah. for sure, and it's happened a few times. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't. Oh, and it happens even happen. trying to play it safe too. <laughs> yeah, know? I was just yeah, gonna say. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and, 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 exactly. But 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 like what Ron was saying is like you know you 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 risk and you lose you learn you risk and you win you win but if you don't take you, if you if you're the play it safe motherfucker yeah sometimes you win yeah and sometimes you lose but not like that not yeah. like that you don't well, that's learn why, like that's that why, and you don't win like that yeah that's why i say it's it's kind of lazy because you're waiting for somebody else to yeah. do the work so you can just come in and say well i'll do it but and and typically that doesn't work out great either because no. When you don't put in the work and you don't put in the thought and you're just trying to copy somebody's methods, again, you have to adapt them. You have to have some thought. You have to have, you know, use some brain power to make it work and, and get it to work successfully. You can't just copy somebody else's yeah. work. It just doesn't doesn't pan out in the long well, run. Well, I, I think yeah. I think you can take somebody's model, but you have to be plugged in. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't yeah. just like, you oh, yeah, Ron just runs a bunch <laughs> yeah. of water through there and that's the fucking right. story. Like, yeah. no, man, you miss the whole like you miss mm-hmm. half the conversation, you know, like yep. it's not just so. And I think that's where most people fail is is they 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 underarticulate the moment, like like mm-hmm. stuff that they're seeing and like not checking in and not like paying attention because obviously, like Ron says, he does stuff that's negative to the animal's interest, but he 
realizes in short order and makes those corrections when he sees it Correct. not doing well, right? So yep. he's not just put him in there, fucking walk away. It's like, okay, how is this moment to moment, you know, kind of thing? Like it's, you know, and that's where I think people just, they don't, they want to watch their animal. And I, I do think they want the best for their animal, but I just don't think mm-hmm. they know, they don't. I think it's so far, you know, being a snake is so far from what most people can interface with. They don't even know where to fucking start. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too. So, I mean, I, I, I think this is a great, uh, nice little side road out, you know, away from DIY, but uh, I think it's very valuable to talk about. And, and, um, you know, you think about nature is so has, has a lot of swings and drastic changes and things like that. So, you know, in in a lot of these rainforest areas, they'll, they'll go through a a dry period Mm -hmm. rather than a temperature swing. You've got a moisture swing. And I'm wondering if you, you know, if you, if that's part of the the idea, I mean, are you going to have that swing or is it kind of maintain them at the, the optimal level at all times? Are you giving them that period of dryness and I'm, I'm going to give them a drier period. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to switch to a basically a dew type scenario um, mm-hmm. for the winter time once it gets cold enough. Um, that that is this that is the next phase. Is trying okay. that's the part that I'm worried about. It's like yeah. okay, now I got to navigate the fucking winter here. Yeah. Um, so I've already we've already like I said we already did a couple things. One, I took my two car garage. I fucking went in there myself and peeled all the popcorn shit off the ceilings because I'm going to put a whole <laughs> bunch of emerald tree bows in there that are high humid and that popcorn ceiling will just fucking fall down. So I went in there and I gutted the whole thing. I said it's the hottest. It is essentially an oven. Um, So I can roll all all 60 emeralds fit perfectly in this thing and give me Mm -hmm. room to go in and out of work. Then it has a pad in front of it that on nice days I can roll them out and get them sunlight and, mm-hmm. and just and it gets full sun for all that I want. And then atta- right on the other side of that, attached to my house, I have this really long porch that runs the and it's all open, but mm-hmm. it's covered and it runs the entire length of the house. So I can mm-hmm. actually put probably 150 of them back there, and that's oh, wow. totally shaded and it creates this wind tunnel there. That gets that stays nice and cool. Like we sit, we built the lace monitor enclosures up against that, so we could sit on the back porch and watch them. And I'd like to yeah. have lots of people here do that. Yeah. Um, so now I've we've cleaned all that out, cleared that out, so we can actually roll the snakes in there. So that's for the emeralds, and the chondros are out in this indoor outdoor fifteen hundred square foot building. That will eventually be mostly for them. Mm-hmm. And inside that building, though, we're going to build a plastic essentially a greenhouse that we can roll them into there and then heat that up if need be. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to need that. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then there's other things to consider. If I'm heating the room, obviously I'm fucking drying it out. So I need right. to, to compensate right. for that. So I think I have it all worked out, but I won't know until I go through it. And this is one of the reasons why I just haven't, you know, just completely, like Chuck said, you know, if I go out there and say, okay, well, I'm raining on these fucking things, somebody's going to think, oh, well, that's all it is. I'll just, yep. and if you're keeping them at 86 degrees and you're pouring this much water on them and the ventilation isn't perfect, yep. they're fucking dead. They're going to get yep. respiratory. And then I'm going to hear, you killed all my shit. Yeah. No, no, no. I've been very <laughs> specific about the fact that I took a fucking hammer to standard snake husbandry and then 
smashed it all into little pieces and picked up the few pieces that I thought were relevant to what I was doing and then threw the rest of it in the fucking garbage and started mm-hmm. over from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because this is an entirely different way of doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So now I, I imagine, you know, as you're, you're going through this and kind of fine tuning it and figuring out, you know, if, if your hypotheses are <laughs> ringing true or if they're proving out or if they're, you know, you got to scrap, scrap an idea here and there. Um, but I imagine, you know, kind of the end goal is to be able to make that a commercially viable project. So Correct. people will be able to adapt it to their circumstances and you can kind of help them along the way to figure out how to give these animals what they need to to succeed. Yeah. I, I, that is what the, essentially, I don't know if you saw the photos of it, but the utility sink with the enclosure on the top mm-hmm. is sort of like my DIY prototype version of this idea. It's an okay. old idea. It goes way back. Bob Mayu at Sandfire yeah. Dragon Ranch used to use it for chameleons and frogs 40 mm-hmm. years ago. That's where I stole the idea from. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I've used it for a, a ton of different stuff. I'm experimenting with it. I like some of it, um, but I think what it's going to take is eventually when this is all working and I can show, you know, I've got all these babies and I, and this is all working and everything that I think is that I think one of these cage companies will see the. the oh, uh, yeah. And, and oh, yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And Ruby then, agrees. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, friends of mine, have, I think Keith Chewy Keith too has said it recently, but. He was like, dude, you just should manufacture – you should be working on manufacturing your own commercial caging. Yeah. And we had actually discussed that, but it's so far out of our fucking wheelhouse that yeah. – I, I mean I'll never do it unless Scott decides to do it. But I but I think uh, – I think eventually though this will be kind of a thing where you'll mm-hmm. you know, you'll know, be able to go and buy a commercial unit that has a fucking drain in it that you can hook to a full – you know, like, like the fish industry and you can yeah. – you can do what you need to do. I mean, it's it's actually not that far fetched. Yeah, it's really yeah. not. I yeah. mean, it, it, if yeah. somebody makes the right kind of nozzle that can attack, and then you can brain down on them, and well, the, the new ecos, really- the new ecos have a drain in the bottom of the glass. They cut a hole in the bottom of that glass, yep. and they're putting a drain in there now, uh, which yep. is okay. But you know, so even still, I think yeah, you're you're you know. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's the key for these cage makers is to partner with somebody like you, Ron, and like, you know, this and, and design it with your input and, and help. And, you know, then they kind of can take it to the commercial level. Sometimes it's hard, though. I think you got to find the right, right manufacturer, cage manufacturer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause and, and if it's too, too expensive or too, yeah. you know, too niche, then it, then it's very difficult to make it fly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there are some things out there now that were taken from that's <laughs> like the second Daytona show ever. I had this very specific mm-hmm. drawer system on display there that I was yeah. using to just to sell animals out of and a cage manufacturer saw it. And then like three years later, they're selling these exact same thing, you know? So yeah. I, I expect yeah. the same thing to happen. I think, I, a lot of them watch my page and I think as they see this stuff going on, then they'll like, Oh, I can make a way better, you know, mm-hmm. something that actually looks like super professional, probably collapsible. Um, but the biggest hurdle there is, is um, kind of getting people to get outside of the dry box idea mm-hmm. and start mm-hmm. thinking about that. Yeah, that's fine for things that it works for, but a lot of shit it doesn't work for. And you could actually be like, I really, 
I mean, I know that Warren Booth has said the same thing, and I think uh, I think he's absolutely right. I don't think any of these snakes are that difficult. They're probably yeah. much easier than we think. I just think our fucking parameters are way off, mm-hmm. and um, and that uh, once that's rectified, I think they'll be a common. I think you'll have you know lots of people producing them regularly. Because I mean, right now the market, even to this day. Most of the ones that are in the trade, even the baby ones, those are not captive bred. Those are almost all imports. Mm. So there, there are some, you know, there are people yeah. that produce a few here and there, but it's not a lot compared to how many of them are held in collections. Yeah, right. I mean, if <laughs> yep. there should be way more. That's and, the uh, sad so truth not. of it, you know, is that we do kind of. And I don't know, I, you know, you wonder if it's just a lack of interest or, you know, we, it's hard to compete against the import market. So we're not going to give it a go or it's, it's hard to say, but, but a lot of, you know, some one aspect oh of my really that I, I don't enjoy about herpetoculture is, is that aspect of disposable pet, you know, that we're, that we're willing to support the mass importation of, you know, half dead animals that go out to pet stores and, and go into people's homes and they have them for a couple of weeks and they die and they go, well, well I guess I don't, I don't want to keep reptiles cause they just die, you know, that kind of thing, but, or, or they can get a captive bred ball Python that's, you know, or a captive bred, uh, getting that difference or getting that point across to people is very difficult because the cost of the captive bred animals obviously a lot more and you know, it's, but, but they're going to live, they're going to thrive, they're going to do well. And, and, you know, hopefully they can learn from the person they got it from, but that's one of the downsides of the, the hobby or the business. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. Um, no, I just think I, I honestly, uh, I, I honestly don't know. I, I as far as the uh, commercial viability of this thing, I personally think it'll probably it's one of the most probably the most commercially viable endeavors mm-hmm. I've ever gone on. Mm-hmm. If, if it works, um, looking at what you can get for a captive bred ones and the the demand, I think that would be there if people knew, you know, one that they would be successful with them because that's really what drives a lot of this, right? Most yeah. people, most people, if they don't feel like they're ever going to be successful, mm-hmm. then the value is not really there, and it's hard to make the sales. But all of a sudden, if you know, if everybody th- at least can, because you're kind of selling the dream, right? Yeah, right? that really is a big exactly. part of this shit. Exactly. You're selling the dream of oh, I can get these things, and and you know, I can maybe maybe produce my own and have some awesome holdbacks, and maybe make a little money on the side to pay for this. Or you have kids that were like me that want to do this, you know, for a living. So mm-hmm. you know, and you have you know, obviously the whole gamut, a lot of people that fall in between those two things but you know i mean when i started a long time ago one of the things that i was told over and over again were tegus are not captive uh, reproducible in captivity <laughs> right i mean I, that was the thing that i really wanted to do when i was a kid and i kept people kept telling me that boy the shoe yeah, seems no. like it's on the other foot now doesn't it <laughs> right <laughs> and so me being the arrogant little shit that i am i was like fuck these guys i'll figure this shit out and then, yeah. I, then i had found this article about bert langerworth who had been producing yeah. the black and whites and then eventually yeah. i got a hold of him and and um he was really when i saw that and that he was producing them and i was like okay well 
then then at that point everything seemed possible. Like yeah. all you got to do is figure it out. You know what what the triggers are and all that. So, but that's again selling the dream. Now all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I, I that was one of the first things I ever bought from him. Um, were black and whites. Then eventually I, I was like, okay, this guy's killing it up there. I don't want to compete against him. So I sold my black and whites and what the reds and then eventually the blues. Mm-hmm. That was that was my gig, right? So he's yeah. up there doing those. I'm down in Florida doing this thing. We're not we're not uh, you know competing against each Stepping other. Each and, other, yeah. Yeah, and I was just I like yeah. doing my own shit, right? Yeah. I, d- I just don't like if it's that's why I don't do ball pythons. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of fucking money in those. I could have yeah. been. I, I could have been financially well off a long time ago because I had a lot of those founder morphs, but I just didn't give a fuck about them. Yeah. So I only do things that I really, you know, have some interest in. And, you know, I shouldn't say that because I have done things that nobody else was doing. Like the Anole thing started out, nobody was doing them. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll go do them because everything is interesting and it'll be it'll be fun. I didn't yeah. never expected it 10 years later. I'd still be doing the damn things. <laughs> um it was supposed to be this, like, I call it raiding, right? Yeah. I've always done this. If somebody pops up a new morph in something that's super popular, like I, we recently did it with the Azanthic Crested Geckos, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't fucking do Crested Geckos, but I'll <laughs> raid the morph. I'll yeah. buy one, buy some yeah. babies, make a bunch of them, you know, sell them to collectors in the, you know, while they're very valuable. And then as soon as the, the price goes down on them, I'm out and <laughs> I, I sold the thing off. Yeah. And I'm on to the, and then I sit and wait for the next thing. That's one of the ways we've been able to fund, you know, all this stupid risky shit that we do mm-hmm. um, is by by doing that. And I've been doing that off and on for like 40 years. I know there's people that probably don't like that. But um, <laughs> but you know, I don't we don't advertise them anywhere as stuff, you know, so yeah. we're not really affecting their market. We I almost all of it goes overseas. Mm-hmm. So um, that's I I mean I figured that out. It goes to fund something far more valuable. (laughs) Yeah, good shit. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. There's nothing wrong with using those commercially. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Not like that. I mean, you know, not like that. I think that's exactly how you, uh, you know, if you're going to uh, participate in a system you don't agree with, that's the best way to do it is use the money (laughs) to fucking work it against the system. I just punk rock culture. Punk rock culture. Yeah, that is exactly That's it, awesome. man. Yeah, That's of fun. course. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, that's. That's why we have no employees. It's just me and her. Yep. She's as hardcore yeah. about this as I am. Um, you know, uh, that's why I've been honestly. I've been able to make as many advances as I have over the last five or six years. She's been a huge part of that because yeah. her husbandry is so far above mine that uh, you know she'll she catches shit that I would have not caught. You know she'll be like, oh, yeah. I think this is going on in this zone, and then I'll go out yeah. there and look at it, and then her and I'll figure out how to how to rectify it. But um, it's That's really awesome. good having two long term herpetoculturists yeah. you know, that can that have different Figure skill sets. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's been extremely valuable. So. But yeah, that's all DIY shit, man. It's yeah. uh, you know, fuck <laughs> yep, the system I, and do your shit. And I'm I'm having a struggle to think of anything, you know, kind of against DIY. I know. I, know. I thought about that. I was like, because all three of us are kind of like that, so we're yeah. just like not going to be much <laughs> no. of a fight. But no, yeah. Um, but it, 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 yeah, it's it's a. Uh, 
it's it's I think the only challenge is finding out what, what to do with the, the failures, you know, where to, yeah. like you said, the big pile of trash in the backyard. I guess you can set out board lines and go herp, you know, in your backyard. Yeah. I actually have that, too, on the because I have five, nice. five acres and there's all kind of stuff here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we have hog nose and indigos yeah. and stuff and lots of gopher tortoises. Oh, but cool. uh, all I ever find in the did I ever tell you guys about the fucking yellow rat snake? I think so. The one, um, the one that ate seven grand worth of rare animals. Oh, maybe not. Oh no! Oh my <laughs> That's god! Terrible. So, Dude. so for a couple of months, fucking these these extremely expensive rare anoles were just vanishing from the enclosures. Mm-hmm. The enclosures were locked. They didn't mm-hmm. escape. I thought I was losing my fucking mind. And then for a while there, I thought, well, maybe one of the neighbors is jumping the fence and coming in here and stealing one or two. But it didn't make sense because mm-hmm. in one particular enclosure, the only two blue-bellied uh, night anoles that I had were gone. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but another anole that was an albino that was in there was untouched. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was just weird, yeah. right? And then right. a baby lace monitor disappeared. Uh. And I was like, what the so I, so I actually, when the monitor disappeared, I got on the phone and I called all the reptile pet stores in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, if Keep some asshole <laughs> shows up with a lace monitor and a bunch of this other shit, let me know. Yeah. Because um, it's missing. Well, mm-hmm. it turns out that mm-hmm. a three-foot yellow rat snake figured out that it could come up through the drains in my tub system. Oh, no. no and way. it had eaten – it ate uh, uh, two adult podior – the two oh, blue-bellied God. anoles. It killed the only Bacell albino in existence, uh, and and it and it ate the smallest smallest of two uh, lace monitors that were in this enclosure. That is tragic, we, man. That is worse than a cat. That is like cat murder. <laughs> this this went on for like six months, and the Shit. only reason we found it is Heather came out to talk to us to me about something because she was going going somewhere, and she said, "Hey." You know, I've got to go. And she goes, why is there a yellow rat snake uh, shed? Why is there a snake shed yeah. with the albino anoles? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I look oh, over and there's no. a fucking shed all around in this albino anole cage <laughs> and in, in the cork log. Yeah. Well, that enclosure was attached to three other enclosures that only had a small separator. And, yeah. had, and I started going through them and on the second or third one there was no anoles the out the podior that was in there was gone yeah. and inside the cork tube was an, a rat snake with a perfect uh, outline of an adult podior no way yeah. that's, that's that sucks that's DIY caging for you yeah. DIY caging for you <laughs> damn you, did, you didn't have that story Justin that would have been a good one for you oh my god I was so pissed yeah. I was like holy shit that explains yeah. everything yeah, and uh, that's that is what it definitely was. the only mm. downside to yeah. DIY caging right there. I, dude, I <laughs> saw honestly, that it's a. I can't believe that that yeah. snake was yeah. able to get up these drains. That's but, crazy. But the cork logs are what screwed me because it would get in yeah. there, it would eat something. It was too obviously you couldn't get back out the drain with a giant freaking yeah. lizard inside of it. So it sat in those cork <laughs> tubes until it digested it enough to get out and go to the next oh, thing. Oh, God. And so he was just uh, growing well, shedding, you yeah. know, eating yeah. Yeah, we tens found of thousands of dollars. Multiple sheds. Uh, oh, probably. my gosh. Now, there may have been more than one. 
This yeah. there may have been a, a couple uh, of them doing this, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's just the one. Oh and underneath the enclo- underneath the sinks are wrapped around the things were shed skins from him, multiple <laughs> shed skins. Oh, no. So he'd been there for a while. Oh, yeah. God. Eating well. So what did what did you how did you fix it? Did you just put a green on the drain? Yeah, we put we put grates on the drain, and that animal yeah. now resides at Eddie Soto's house. He was there. The day <laughs> there you go. You not, thing out yeah. <laughs> never getting released from prison. No, no, that's that's not out there. No, you're best in a bed. fucking max security <laughs> prison forever now, dude. I know. No, man. no, I, I I told him he lives you know near a park it's a native species so i was like on your way home just drop this thing off and he's like fuck no he's like this thing's got a story i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) he's got gold in that belly i swear to god it's like a ten thousand dollar fucking yellow rat snake (laughs) that's sad (laughs) at least i mean at least i know i know wow i try not to think about it yeah yeah um (laughs) right but yeah that's Nature's a, brutal. I guess yeah. you gotta, you know. You, I could yeah. not figure that out, man. I'm like, why mm-hmm. the fuck is somebody breaking in and stealing these random things and then locking the cages back up? <laughs> yeah. There was no way they got out. And oh, it was man. Then I was thinking, oh, maybe it's somebody that comes over here, and I'm starting to get all suspicious and shit. <laughs> and, and it was a fucking rat snake. God <laughs> damn. <laughs> Yeah, you've got the best stories. I could By listen far. to your stories all day. It's, I mean, far. some are sadder than others, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You do yeah. this shit long enough, man. Stuff happens. Yeah, right. yeah. that's yeah. true. Oh uh, well, I um, we appreciate you coming on. I mean, you're yeah. you're the wealth of knowledge. You know, it's just just uh, unparalleled and we appreciate you coming on sharing your ideas and talking these things out it's it's really valuable to myself you know i I learn a lot from from these conversations so i appreciate um, it guys yeah Yeah. thank you no we appreciate you coming on and and i'm sure you know the listeners are going to get you know some really good good uh you know ideas and information and hopefully i mean you know i think one of the main points is you know Put in the work, do the thinking, you know, uh, like you said, you know, get get a, a hobby or a, an area of your own where you can kind of make these yeah. groundbreaking discoveries and, and bring other cool species to the spotlight. Don't just follow in other people's footsteps, you know, get a little punk rock herpetoculture going and <laughs> get some get some new stuff in the hobby. That's that's kind of where the fun is, I think. And and where you can stay excited about things and break new ground. And I don't know, that's good stuff. So, yeah. Well, and I think Ron's definitely even showing that even, even stuff that we've had in the hobby for a while, you can break new ground in by the way you, you know, keep it or, or, or work with it. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. just so much, like, like Ron said, we don't know shit. We don't yeah. know shit. So, there's just <laughs> I mean, so much to do. Yeah. If you if you look at it, only a very small number of species are success stories in this. Hobby. Oh yeah, it's a tiny yeah. number. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot of stuff in the hobby, but most of those are not success stories. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, you know some some def- you know varying levels of success, but none of them yeah. are like there's there's not that many ball pythons and leopard geckos, and it's not because yeah. the stuff can't be there. 
you know, yeah. unless it's like something that's like super low productivity, like, you know, sure. Perusha or something like that. Yeah. But even those. Yeah. I mean, there's this. Yeah. Shinglebacks. I mean, yeah, that's a, there's a huge demand. But, yeah, it's really hard to get a colony started and, you yes. know, to, to make that happen. And. Yeah, um, and that's that's probably the biggest barrier on the shinglebacks. But I mean, Carusha, right. they still do import them. So you could, if you could fund it, you could, you know, if you had the space yeah. and the desire, you could go at it pretty hard. I, I don't know if you saw um, John Felice, Felicity. Oh yeah, Felicity. LCD. Yeah. yeah, I can't say his name either, but yeah, yeah I know him. He's <laughs> sorry, John. He, yeah, he's doing he's a he's cool doing guy. Shit up there. Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, I had to call him as soon as I saw Gary's video. You know, I went and looked him up, listened to his few podcasts, then I called him on the phone. I'm like, this is cool stuff. You know. Oh yeah, you but, should uh, totally get him on on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But he's, he, you know, he's he's. DIYing it you know, I know. for sure, you know, and making it work. So I, know. I wish him all the luck because, yeah, he's got some some amazing stuff that I would love to keep someday, you know. Uh, so that's that's uh, I, I love this hobby and I love, you know, the the idea of, of making that. I think one of the things that really brought that to light for me that, you know, how many things are out there. Like I got that uh, Book of Snakes um, by, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> up there um is that a marco uh, shea marco shea you know and 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 he had like you know a few representatives of every type of or every group of snakes and like i was in there i'm like i have never heard of half of these things you know and you're like reading their description it's like oh they specialize on feeding on blind snakes okay yeah yeah, that's gonna be difficult yeah exactly but they're beautiful you know they're really cool looking so i'm like well i guess that's one for you know herping that's what herping is gonna satisfy is finding that thing in the wild all those slug eaters exactly i used to catch mud snakes down in in south florida Mm -hmm. all the time and they were amazing you're like oh my god it's as big as a king snake it's got a bright yeah. pink stomach. It's yeah. shiny black, and they're really awesome. And they also eat fucking sirens, so forget it. Yeah, there's no way just, to yeah, yeah really keep those. Yeah, I guess you could maybe try to get them over to axolotls or something. Yeah, you know, breed axolotls right. or something. But yeah, that's that's the trick, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, sure. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and spending your time uh, fighting with us. It's been a been a pleasure. We never do any fucking fighting. No, we (laughs) don't. We don't ever fight. It's true. We got it. We got to get you and Alan on here. You guys will. You guys will show us what it's about. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, That there'll be some banging heads there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right. Yeah, guys. We got. Are we gonna have to go to Alan into it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I tried. It didn't work. Uh, <laughs> he he doesn't goad well. Yeah, no, yeah, no. He's a stubborn yeah. motherfucker. That's for yeah. sure. we'll, have to, we'll have to find his trigger. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time for another episode of Reptile Fight Club. That was fucking awesome. Thanks, guys. Fight Club. Uh,